Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Today on Watching Your Wealth, we'll look at the top concerns of the ultra-wealthy, plus what parents need to consider before they take out a loan to help pay for their child's college education. This is Watching Your Wealth from The Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, while you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Coming up, what to consider before you take out a PLUS loan. But first, WealthX David Friedman is here to tell us about the top concerns of the ultra-wealthy. Welcome, David. Hi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. David, you said globally succession and inheritance issues are a top concern for the ultra-wealthy. Tell us about that. Yes. So one of the you know, people primarily when they think about the wealthy, and if you look at all the industries on the financial services side, people often think that the number one issue is taxes. And while uh, estate taxes in particular for the U.S. for U.S. citizens are a primary issue or, or very important. Yep. I, actually, what's what really keeps uh, the ultra wealthy up at night is how do I make sure that I don't disincentivize my children uh, by giving them too much and make sure that they grow up? And how do I pass on my values in a way uh, that inculcates it for them and continues my legacy? And it's it, these are these are extremely delicate uh, complicated, uh, challenges, challenges. I mean, it's not an easy thing when you have substantial wealth, uh, to just uh, without values embedded in that wealth, you know, you can go off the rails. I mean, the easiest example of that, and this is, this doesn't apply to most of the ultra affluent, but the easiest example are lottery ticket winners, Mm -hmm. right? Which, uh, a large percentage end up either committing suicide or, or alcoholics, right? Because they, they're just not ready for that wealth, right? Right. So how do you cope with this kind of wealth and how do you instill that work ethic in your kid when conceivably they don't need to work or their kids may not even need to work because you have so much money if you're an ultra wealthy person? So it is an it's an interesting challenge. Most people don't face it. But if you do face it, it is a real issue. Uh, are you seeing mm-hmm. anyone creatively handling that and how it, I would imagine it, it really depends by family. But right. I mean, we work so. It's not a new issue. I mean, this goes back. Uh, if you think about the Rothschilds, uh, one of the interesting things about the, the original Rothschilds was the structure that was given for the four, I think it was four sons, who were geographically diversified across Europe. They each were not just given money. They each had to uh, were given a, a low-interest loan from the patriarch, uh, but they had to set up these banks in different parts of Europe. But one of the key provisions was that if you took the loan, then you had to share information with everyone else. And mm-hmm. so he created this structure where his family, they weren't just given the money. They had, to, they had to, from a performance standpoint, they had to meet certain objectives. Interestingly enough, though, from a macroeconomic perspective, you know, a lot of, those, a lot of the ventures they had got uh, torn up in, the, in, in, uh, in, in terms of military and the wars right. that, that went on in Europe. So, but I, I have to say that there's a, one, of the big, one of the big trends is the growth of what's called the multifamily office um, so these are firms like uh, Bessemer Trust. Uh, there's firms here in the U.S., U.S. Trust, um, and so forth. So there's smaller boutique firms like Gresham, Northern Trust. All these firms um, are basically creating infrastructure and pivoting towards providing more soft-type services that have to do with families and values. Um, and so they, everyone knows that this is on the heart of, of their clients, and so 
you know, the ranges, it ranges from on-site psychologists who come in and sit down with the family to family counseling services who come in. I just spoke at a conference uh, in Sydney, and on the panel with me were groups of men. Uh, several of them do exactly this. They sit down and say, let's, let's write the family constitution. And as part of that process, they say, you know, what are the objectives and goals? And, and they use that as a way to kind of basically surface disagreement between the first and second generations, for example. Yep, uh, yep. So, so there's, there's a massive, a huge push uh, to address this issue because, and frankly, it's good for business. These, this is one of the stickiest ways to get clients and keep them. Indeed, uh, the right. The, yeah, I was just yeah. going to say the issues really vary by the generation, and so that, you know it's obviously in these firms' best interest to keep those people as their client. But I think the point that you're raising is, you know, educating that younger generation about how the money was made, the challenges those other generations faced, that they didn't always have the money, perhaps, and, and what they had to overcome. I think that can be a very powerful way to connect to that younger generation. I want to go back to some of the worries facing the, the ultra-wealthy. Uh, you said taxes wasn't the top worry. It's still a big worry, so I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. But another interesting point is that you said in certain areas of the world, personal security is a big concern for the ultra-wealthy. Tell us about that. Yeah, so personal security is obviously a growing concern. Uh, we have a partner out in San Francisco that provides uh, personal security for some of the top and wealthiest families in the world. And they'll tell you, you know, obviously this is an issue. They'll also tell you that some people make too big of an issue of, of it. In other words, if you put the black sedans and bodyguards around and you draw more attention. <laughs> um, and, and so oftentimes, you know, as he put it, it's better to have much more subtle, especially in places like Silicon Valley and some of the folks he works with there. But I'll, I will tell you, a fascin- it's, it's horrible, but it's also fascinating. Fast-growing area is cyber is basically cyber attacks on the ultra-wealthy families themselves. Yeah. And more and more from our clients who work with these wealthy families and from the security firm in San Francisco in particular, we are hearing that they are hacking with sophisticated methods. They're hacking in, but not only hacking, they're literally calling their advisor at a, at a J.P. Morgan and saying, listen, I'm hopping on the plane. Can you wire this? Talking to the assistant, knowing exactly what to say, and getting millions and millions of money wired out of these accounts. Uh, by, so this is a growing threat. It's, it's somewhat relatively new. But these individuals, you know, you can call them cyber, cyber hackers, terrorists, or whatever you want to call them, from different places in emerging countries, a lot of them are coming out of, they're targeting not only institutions, they're, they're getting smart enough to identify specific individual families uh, and going after their, their money. So is that, you know, I've heard from some people, and I'm wondering if you're seeing this th- the same way, you know, are more wealthy people concerned about displaying their wealth? So in other words, are they really trying to hide, you know, fly under the radar, so to speak, and, and not be as ostentatious as some uh, other generations perhaps were with their money? So it's, it just it really depends. I, you know, I have to say here in the U.S. at least, the pendulum swung the other way as the market crashed in 2008 and 9, and you saw all kind of overt, ostentatious shows of luxury dry up, right? Um, because how in the world can you drive up in a new Rolls Royce to your factory when you just let 20% of the employees That's go? Right. So what you saw was a pullback, a significant pullback in terms of luxury items that were more overt, uh, but what, what I, at least my, my finger on the pulse of people I talk to and, and folks that are in this world, 
what what I you know yachts are kind of there's in many ways yachts are the purest form of luxury because you can't justify like a, a jet you can justify for business purposes <laughs> and other things art you can do from an investment a yacht is really kind of the purest expression and so I would say a yacht a luxury yacht is kind of the leading indicator that the pendulum is swinging the other way and what I've been hearing is that people are coming in and, and before where they were saying listen you know let's keep it to this or do that they're now saying go for the whole thing you know I'll, spending yacht. 250 million on a, on a new yacht and so those kind of the, th- those kind of things are and we were, you know, our partner, we were coming out with the yacht report with Camper Nicholson. Uh, and we're, we're seeing these numbers increase. For us, at least, that me, that's a leading indicator that the ostentatious show of wealth is kind of coming, the pendulum swinging the other way. In China, there's a very unique issue. Um, and as many people will know, most luxury brands, uh, and I was just with one of the top global luxury jewelry brands having lunch yesterday. And they, you know, they said, listen, it, it's the same for every everybody got addicted to the Chinese luxury consumer because they spent on luxury. Uh, and that, that, you know, because of the purge and other macroeconomic events, that's pulled back and now they're having to retrench. But one of the things most people don't understand in terms of culture is that in Chinese culture, it is a mandate. If you're successful, it's a mandate to show off that wealth. It's not just about, it's a, it's a cultural driver uh, to showing off that wealth. And so, one of the biggest frictions and I, at the conference I was at in Sydney where they had some of these wealthy Chinese families and, and uh, other folks that served them, one of the biggest issues was the, gener- the first gen, because of that culture, the, the generation that makes it has that mandate. The second generation doesn't feel that same about showing that type of wealth. Fascinating. And so there's a lot of friction in between Indeed. how to display wealth, how you should, and being more so, – so there's a lot of different complicated currents going on as you talk about an issue about – displaying well. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, David. It's been so interesting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Look look forward to the next time. My pleasure. And coming up, what to consider before you take out a parental loan for your child's college education. Stay with us. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. More parents are taking out PLUS loans, loans parents can take if they pass a credit check and certain other conditions for their child's college education. While you might want to help your child, think twice before you take out this loan. With a PLUS loan, you have to start making payments right away. And with a current interest rate of 6.84%, it isn't cheap. Not to mention each loan you take has an origination fee of 4.27%. Taken together, this is a very expensive loan. Remember, the more you take out in student loans, the less you'll have for retirement. And you can't take a loan for retirement. You and your child may be better off if they go to a cheaper school. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.